Okay, good to see everyone here. Like I said, entire Treasure Valley's under this flu, cold, everything else, and I work with middle schoolers. And you know, we teach them to sneeze in their elbow. Yeah, tell a sixth grader to do that on a consistent basis. Let's see how many times that happens. <clears throat> so I might sound a little raspy. I might cough on my papers. Don't worry. I am contagious. <laughs> oh boy. So today I want to talk to you uh, concerning John. So let's turn to the book of John, chapter 4. And this is building off the series that we've started as a church in the Gospel of John. Uh, Andrew so eloquently told us about getting the word out and speaking Jesus' word in every situation to see fruit come forth. Josh, I love the way he put personality to John, kind of sarcasm, <clears throat> snarky, uh, because it's going to come into play when we talk about the woman at the well. He also really, really encouraged us to be connected to Christ. Being connected to Christ is the key, obviously, with to have a relationship with Christ. And so, part of what they had built up, I'm going to continue. Uh, this is when PC meets Apple, and the slide looks weird. But because of Cody's amazing talents, we actually have slides. <laughs> so, yay. Um, so, ignore the B. Um, the outline here is The God Who Goes Out of His Way, is the title. And I want to talk about John's perspective to this narrative, to the story uh, when he's with Jesus as a young man, very young man, probably the youngest of the disciples, and how he mentioned Jesus had to go through Samaria, or to Samaria. And then I want to talk about the Samaritan woman's viewpoint of, let's argue. Okay, let's just argue about stuff. And then Jesus, who then gets super personal, uh, not just with her, but anyone who has a relationship with him. And then I change the conclusion uh, to priorities. Uh, and I'll explain a little bit further on about that. So today, I would like to speak about this story where Jesus is speaking with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well and it's recorded in chapter 4 of John. And so, the first one, <clears throat> I want to read verses 4 through 6. And my printer went crazy this morning, so just to boot. Uh, could I have someone please read that? <coughs> Out loud. <laughs> The car. Okay. So we look here and he's at a well, Jacob's well to be specific. And he meets, he will be meeting uh, a person there. The, 
the interesting fact here is it's in Samaria. So I want us to kind of backtrack a little bit about his ministry early on and how it fits with the book of John and how and where we are currently. So, first of all, I've got a point there. Um, chapter 1, part of chapter 2, you've got him being baptized by John in Bethany. And then he immediately goes out to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. <clears throat> he goes back up the Jordan Valley, and I just found a new toy. He goes right up the Jordan and he goes back to Cana, where he performs some of his, well, his first miracle, turning water into wine at the, at the uh, wedding. Then he sticks around for a while between Nazareth and Capernaum, and does miracles and talks to people. <clears throat> he then travels down again this main route to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate Passover during this time. And that's where in chapter 3 he meets up with Nicodemus and talks to him while in Jerusalem. <clears throat> then he goes back up near Jericho in the part of Jordan the Jordan River, and his disciples start baptizing uh, followers. Well, then the Pharisees find out in the beginning of chapter 4, he's, you know, there's kind of two baptisms going on between John the Baptist and Jesus, and Jesus is like, no, nah, we don't need this, you know. So he tells his disciples, we need to go to Samaria. Now, on a 2D map, you really don't get the gist of this and why John was so exasperated saying he just had to go through Samaria. There's two factors. One's topography and one's culturally. And we'll get to that here soon. <clears throat> and we'll get to there soon. Okay. Oh, I skipped one. Come on. Come on. No coming on. Can we go back to the topography? Nope, that's not it. So it must be that. Okay, we're going to talk about culturally. I'll get to topography afterwards. So let's just go to the next one then. Thank you. So, John here, we had to go through Samaria, was mainly because Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. They were uh, prejudiced towards each other's uh, cultures, uh, religiously especially because of that. And we have to find out why. What's the fact of why Samaritans and Jews didn't get along? Well, it had to go way back in time in the Old Testament when the kingdom of Israel was split in two. Okay? So here we're going to look at a brief history of this area so that we can understand the context of Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman. If we don't, then it's kind of out there, and we really don't get it. So this will be just a short, brief history of what happened. So you can read that for yourself. You had the son Rehoboam at 930 BC. Uh, he takes over the kingdom. The northern tribes want to unite, obviously, and have him as their king. But there were two concessions that they wanted. One, lower taxes. Two, stop using forced labor, because he would use workers off the fields or their crafts or their you know, herds, and you have to work for the king and the kingdom. And they said, no, we don't want that anymore. 
So he said, eh, forget you. We're going to still do that. And so the northern king, uh, tribes formed the northern kingdoms, or northern kingdom up there. So here's the kingdom of Israel. And their capital was Samaria. The other two tribes stayed, and they were called Judah. And their capital is Jerusalem. And you see here how <clears throat> the north and the south seceded from each other. If you want to know further readings, I would encourage you to read these books, if you will, and learn how God was dealing with this, this situation, the prophets that were part of it, the scene uh, in society and culture at this time, and what was to come. So, here's what happened. In 722 B.C., the Assyrian superpower nation decides to just take over the world. If, if any of you remember uh, geography in school, which I know all of you do, this is called the Fertile Crescent. And basically, you control that, you control the world, uh, for the most part, in ancient time. So the Assyrian army comes in, and you can read that little summary of it, and they attack the northern kingdom of Israel first at this time. And not only do they attack, but they pillage, they, they decimate all these different towns and cities and villages. And then they start taking people away. And they start taking them back to this area, northern Iraq, Iran, uh, past Syria and Jordan. And pretty much they empty out the northern kingdom with just a few people left. Okay? So it's total annihilation and total cultural uh, you know, erasing everything about this northern kingdom as much as possible was their goal uh, as the Assyrian Empire. And then these are the prophets that lived during that time. So again, if you want first-hand account of what God was doing during the attack that the Assyrians were uh, placing upon the northern kingdoms, these are the prophets that were warning the northern kingdoms, stop it. Even Judea, uh, they tried to attack, and God miraculously stopped the Assyrian army from taking over Judah. But the northern kingdoms were taken away. They were pretty much obliterated. So, in history, the Samaritans then, fast forward to Jesus' time, um, if you would allow me to use, are half-breeds if at best. If anything about them as culturally Jewish is a, a stain in, the, in, the, in a true Orthodox Jewish's mind, they don't consider them the same. And so for a Jew during Jesus' time to travel through, talk to, converse, whatever, it just didn't happen as well. It's kind of like modern days. Uh, Palestinians and Jewish uh, people currently, many of them can't stand each other, okay, because of going way back to this, this period of time of conquering and cultures changing and who thinks they have the right religion, who, ser who serves God where. So there's a lot of animosity. There's a lot of prejudices. Prejudices. <laughs> Me teach English, yes. <clears throat> Sorry. 
Good, you guys laugh. You make me feel so good. Um, so, not only does John have an issue with that, okay, he's just a kid. He's learned all these different aspects of culture against the Samaritans. Now look at the topography. All right? Um, they are currently, <laughs> that's awesome. They, <laughs> Jarek O. <laughs> this will teach me to use Times New Roman and not some crazy font that I thought looked really cute in PC. Thank you, Apple. Jarek Co. <laughs> is right here, and that's where they're hanging out, in near uh, the Jordan, and the disciples are, are baptizing people. Jesus says, we're going to go through Samaria, where they're the middle mountains of the region. And they're not small. They're pretty good size. Because eventually, he's going to end up in Galilee. Okay? And so he tells John and the rest of the disciples, we need... Well, they, John in his mind is thinking, let's just go through the Jordan Valley, piece of cake, takes two to three days, we'll be there in no time. There's a couple Holiday Inns, a couple Starbucks, we can hit every place going all along the way. It's easy going. The uh, Dead Sea is the lowest place in, in, uh, in the world as far as sea level is concerned, and it's only a couple hundred feet up to Galilee. So it's pretty level. But then Jesus says, nope, um, we are going that way. And if you could see on the map, there's ridges and mountains that they have to climb through and up and over to get to this region called Samaria. So John is ticked. I can imagine this kid, like Josh depicted the last time, uh, as an older man, remembering and reminiscing about this time period and the story, in particular because of these different issues that he was struggling with as a young, as a young kid. Are you kidding me? We are going to have to climb up these hills to Samaria? Oh, gosh. Got to give me a break here, Jesus. Come on. And so he's not happy. And they finally get there, and they're going to spend two days there, and eventually they'll get to uh, where they're going, eventually to where they're going, to Galilee. <laughs> Oh, this is a great. So, while he's in Samaria, oh, you got to be kidding me. What's happening, Cody? Help. I love that guy. Yes, please. Ah, here we go. Let's go to, to this scripture. And could someone read this, please? I like participation. Thank you. So you see the parenthetical statement there, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Well, who wrote that? Who put that in there? John. He had those issues along with every other Jew during his time period when he was with Jesus. And so the Samaritan woman comes to the well, and Jesus is tired. He's weary. He's just traveled up that mountain ridge and 
along with his other fellow uh, band of brothers, and he's beat. So he sends the rest of the disciples into town to go get some food. But he's there, and this woman comes out to draw water. Now, I was going to get into, like, what time was it? Um, was she an outcast? All, and I just got tired of all the commentaries and what I thought. I believe it was during noon. I think it was the heat of the day. She was an outcast because she, you'll find out later. I don't want to spoil it for you. And then she and Jesus have this intimate, personal conversation about her own beliefs, prejudices, there we go again, and theology and history. And he draws out, uh, no pun intended, he draws out what is really her issue in life. So here's the juxtaposition. Here he is, he's talking to her at the well. He's physically weary. He asks for a drink and she becomes culturally defiant. She's like, you're a Jew. Why are you asking me for water? And it wasn't a nice way of saying it. So you could see where her, she is prejudiced towards Jews. And Jesus disarms her. He said, if you only knew who I am, you would ask me for living water. Because Jesus knows that she is spiritually weary, thirsty, and destitute. So you see how this whole picture is coming about with this conversation. All right? Going on. Or Cody. <laughs> Thank you. Let's read this part. Anyone else? The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become Thank you. So first, the conversation is, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, why are we talking? Cultural differences. The second part of this conversation is historical differences. The aspect of, well, this is Jacob's well. And you can just kind of see here, who do you think you are? Living water stuff. Fine, give it to me. So there's this defiance, there's this attitude, and John brings that out because he knows the culture there. But again, Jesus cuts through the mire of her defiance, the mire of her insensitivity. He cuts right through it. And uh, he says, you know, the water I will give will be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And he says, whosoever drinks of, this, of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. Whosoever. I want to hang on that word for a little bit. Whosoever. Remember who he's talking to. A Samaritan person. But he uses the word whosoever. 
And that kind of gets her attention. Not just because of her personal life, which we're going to find out here shortly, but he's like, you know what? You don't have to be a Jew to have this. You don't have to be just like me or, the, or this particular culture to experience living water. And then she kind of tempers down. She says, sir, which is respectful. She says, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come to draw water from this well. Well, there's two parts to why she wants this water. Obviously, who wouldn't want this magical water to su totally support and sustain you for the rest of your life, eternal life? Secondly, remember who he's talking to. A Samaritan woman. And he gets really personal. And so this is my third point where Jesus gets personal and I don't have the scripture. Do I have the scripture up there, Cody? I don't think I do. Oh, just that one. Okay, keep it there, please. Um, so in verse 16, let's go there. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Everything was going just fine. She was like, sir, please share this water. Okay, you got my attention. You're a Jew, I'm Samaritan. But yes, give me this water. Go get your husband. Uh, I could hear the crickets chirping. I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. 18. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Small t. What you have said is true. 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people might, or people, I can't read, guys, sorry, ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 22. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For the salvation is from the Jews. He kind of refers back to the historical account that Jerusalem is the capital that God had chosen. So he tells us straight out, let's just cut through this, okay? Let's just make it true here. 23, but the hour is coming and now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, and then John puts a parenthetical phrase, he who is called Christ, and I'll tell you why he does that here in a second. When he comes, he will tell us all things. 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So, after Jesus reveals a very deep personal issue in her life, she has one last gasp of defiance with him. She throws in, ha <laughs> ha, theology. All right, that's getting a little too close here, Mr. Jew. Uh, let's talk about something that I know we can't agree on, and you'll just leave me alone, and I can deflect and defer from this personal conversation that's getting super uncomfortable for me. 
Huh. Dare I ask, have you ever had those kind of conversations with God? With friends? With family? Mm. I had one Christmas Eve with you all. That was uncomfortable. If you were here, you remember that conversation. But here with the Samaritan woman, she thinks, ha, checkmate. He won't bother me anymore. He'll leave me alone. Because I know this Jew is not going to agree with me. And by the way, the reason why John puts in parentheses he who is called Christ, because the Samaritans believe in the coming of Tahib. It was a Moses-like character that was to take uh, and restore. Actually, Tahib means to restore. And he was going to be the restorer of truth and set everything straight. And that, they, that he was going to prove that their type of worship was right. That's what Samaritans would believe as their Messiah, Tahib. But John puts in there, he, where is it? He who is called Christ. Because so that the readers of all these regions, like Andrew pointed out, Greeks and Jewish leaders and Roman citizens would understand that's who Messiah is really referring to. And so Jesus blows her mind and declares, I who speak to you am he. Now remember, her context is Tahib. And he uses her culture and religion and everything about her to tell her, I'm that one you've all been waiting for. So that gets her attention. So, in conclusion, I changed my conclusion to priorities because I was going to end this with postmodernism, church, and binary beliefs, and uh, sometimes I get too cerebral even for myself. I was like, forget it. And mainly because of two reasons this week. Something happened. One, uh, first, during Wednesday's small group, when we were all hanging out and having fun, enjoying each other's company, I asked opinions about current concerns or questions we may have here at the gathering. And there were topics brought up, you know, finances, duties of membership, uh, spiritual growth, etc. You know, pretty typical things. But then, and she's not here, and I wanted to give her credit, Dawn and Peter spoke up. And this got my attention. And they said uh, they had some concerns about not having enough people for children's ministries. And I'm like, oh boy, yeah, that's going to be an issue. Does anybody else feel uncomfortable right now? Remember the woman at the well? We're having one of those talks, folks. Second, uh, Mike was so gracious to put on the podcast the two sermons prior to this one. And I listened to each of them three times. Andrew and Josh, you guys are amazing. I love listening to that. And so... I want to close, don't think I haven't forgotten the last point, but I do want to close by quoting both Josh and Andrew because it has, it's very apropos to where I would like to end this, this talk with you all. So Andrew said, quote, Speak the words that are in you. If you have his words in you and you speak them, whatever the content, whatever the problem, 
whatever the issue, whatever the care or worry that your friends or you or others bring to you, if his words come out of your mouth and his words speak into you, that pain, sorrow, frustration, lack of love, understanding, or unbelief, then his words will produce fruit. Unquote. Josh stated at the end of his message, quote, we need a relationship with Jesus, both in our labors and in spirit. The reason is because God prunes us. He works in us and he works through us. So, I didn't forget the rest of the chapter, but here it is. Verse 27. Just then his disciples came back, then marveled that he was talking with a woman. But, not, but no one said, what do, we, what do you seek? Or, why, do you, why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town. They were out of the town. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry, guys. I can't see. They went out of the town and were coming to him. 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat, please. I put in the please. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. I have food to eat that you do not know about. 33. So his disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him Starbucks or a, a bagel or something? What's going on here? Who did it? Was it you? No, it wasn't me. <clears throat> Paraphrase. 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Verse 35. Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes, and he's showing them all these Samaritans coming out from town to go see him. Look, lift up your eyes. Quit thinking about food for once, people. And see the fields are white for harvest. I was going to have all the kids come forward, but I don't see any kids. They're all busy. That's cool. But if I could, I would have brought them all up front in front of you. Because, folks, here's the truth about our church here. We have a field so ready for harvest, we can't skip that opportunity. We can't forego that opportunity. We can't say, let someone else take care of their own kids. And when Don and Peter poured out their hearts and just like, guys, what are we going to do? Man, I was like, oh, what, are, what am I going to do? And I looked in the mirror and I'm thinking, oh, Sam, 20 years children's ministries, Sam, they're not even your kids or grandkids, Sam. I got to sign up. <laughs> And Lori and I signed up. Because here's the, here's the truth, folks. If this church has a, ever has a chance to get the gospel out, how dare we not think that we need to talk to the gospel inside with our kids and young people and young adults 
and each other. They're ripe for harvest. In fact, research shows that a child who accepts God at an early age has a greater tendency to stay with God as an older person, especially when their lives, their bot the bottom falls out and they need God more than ever. Folks, and this is not a guilt trip message. Believe me, I hated that when I was in church. This is not. We've got Lindsay, Peter, and Dawn busting their butts. Can I say butts? Okay. And folks, we all need to take ownership of our kids. I teach English language learners at a middle school, and I've been doing it for 22 years. And the biggest thing I've had to get my colleagues to realize that if a Vietnamese or a Mexican or a Russian kid walks into their room in math, science, or, or whatever, the first thing they say, oh, you're one of Sam's kids or Mr. Perez's kids. Oh, it gets me every time. And then I have a little sit down with that teacher and I go, listen, friend, that kid is going to learn math from you whether they speak English or not. Now, I'm going to help you do it. They're our kids. And folks, as a church, if we can have that attitude and sign up and help our kids. Jesus pointed to these Samaritans who didn't even like Jews. I think your kids like you guys here. The harvest is ripe. They're ready for picking. They're ready to hear the gospel at their level. At their level. We need workers. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, guys, lift up your eyes. Here's the real truth. Folks, I challenge you. I challenged me. I'm not just here pointing fingers. I challenged myself and Lori. Yeah, she's looking at me now. But I can't do anything without her. Yes, no. that's a sad excuse. But we are. We've been here a little over a year. But they're our kids, too, and they need to hear the gospel. So please, at the end of the service, talk to one of those three folks. If they're here, there's the sign. I'm looking at it, Kids Club. We need as many people to reap in the harvest of our children.